0: Hello everyone and welcome back to another actual Fluency podcast episode. Today we're going to be talking to Emily Harris and she's going to be sharing her life experience as a transracial adoptee. I'm going to let uh, Emily go into all the details about what that means and uh, we're going to be discussing in, in detail kind of what role your cultural background and your definition of self, your identity. Uh, is connected to your language and what that means when those two are kind of fragmented so it's a really interesting story and I'm really glad that Emily reached out to me to uh, go on the podcast and, and share her story as I'm sure there are many out there with similar stories of fragmented language upbringings and, and culture maybe you're uh, the son of diplomats uh, moving around countries and, and never really having a, an established base or, or native language or you know, you're an adult tea as well, and I think it's an interesting topic and, and something that's worth shedding some light on and having a conversation about. And also, I want to encourage everyone to reach out if you have an interesting story. It doesn't have to be about your personal life. It can be about language learning. It can be about travel, culture, education, anything that uh, you think uh, listeners of this podcast might be interested in. And, Just uh, hit me up, uh, chris at actualfluency.com, or go to actualfluency.com, just click contact at the bottom of the page. Always looking to hear from new and exciting people from all over the world. I mean, we've had, we're nearly at 200 published episodes, and I I think we've got a lot of different countries and nationalities covered so far, so uh, let's keep it going. Before we get into the episode, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to my bite-sized language courses. These uh, are no-frills, kind of quick-to-sit-down-and-do language courses in six languages designed to give you very easy listening practice for beginner level, which is kind of unusual. So if you want to improve your pronunciation, vocabulary, and uh, even your listening skills, so when when native speakers are speaking really fast, you need something like bite-sized languages to just repeat over and over again. And there's 100 dialogs for each language, and it comes with supplementary materials such as the translations and cultural notes and all of that stuff. If you want to sit and do a normal kind of study session, I just recommend everyone to get it uh, in the beginner stages and just listen to, to the 100 dialogs like 100 times and you will feel a, a huge improvement in your target language. So check it out, bite languages.com, or you can also check it out on ActualFluency.com just click courses in the top menu with all that said let's dive into this week's episode well emily welcome to the actual fluency podcast
1: thank you thank you for having me on
0: great and do you want to start off by giving the listeners a little introduction to who you are where you're from and what your history has been with uh, foreign languages
1: Of course. So I think there are two sides to this question. I'm going to answer the first version that I would give or that I would used to give about three years ago. So my name is Emily, and I grew up in Arkansas in the United States. I started with German when I was 18, and that was the language that I taught myself first, and it really opened me up to the fact of being able and capable enough to do something by myself out in the big wide world. So I studied abroad, went to a German university, came back and even majored in German. I did everything. And while I was over there, I also picked up Italian. I picked up Spanish after that, just because they were so similar. And then I got more into other languages like Turkish and Arabic, just because there were really big populations, um, Turkish and Arabic speaking populations in Germany while I was over there. That would have probably been just my regular intro um, for three years ago. But I think what I would say now is kind of giving a little bit more background. Um, I never really talked about where I was born. And I think that that for me is maybe even something bigger to deal with because I am an adoptee. Um, and I'm sure that's going to appear in the podcast episode as uh, as well in the title. But I do want to clarify some things. So I was born in southern China. I was adopted at 16 months. Um, and my parents, or I assume my parents, Um, they actually left me when I was about three months old at an orphanage, um, or I'm sorry, I was brought to the orphanage later, but at three months old, I was left on the steps of a Buddhist temple. And I was adopted at 16 months. I came back with my mom to Arkansas, where I grew up my whole life. And I wanted to make that clear because that is really where, after a lot of reflection, my language learning journey has started. I came home according to my mom, speaking just very, very simple Chinese. And of course, I forgot all of that once. We were really always just surrounded by American culture all the time. And so that means that I was a transnational adoptee, right? So I was adopted from one country and brought entirely into the culture and the assimilation of another um, into the United States. And I'm also a transracial adoptee. And that means that I am a different race from my family. And moreover, I am a different race from most of my, uh, any of my extended family, right? So cousins, aunts, uncles, and my friends, and pretty much anyone I saw on TV back in the early 2000s when diversity just wasn't a big thing to be represented, uh, represented in the United States. So it was hard for me to even admit that, that was part of my language learning story because um, I did completely forget that language and it is only almost well over two decades later that I have come to the fact of, yes, this is when it started. It's not when I started initially learning German at 18. Um, I think it really started way back um, when my story opened with the one-child policy in the 1990s. And um, that was what I was affected by. And I know that my story is pretty heavy, right? Because even just in the first 16 months, I mean, there's just so much to say. And also, like, not anything to say because it's such a mystery. But I think Mm. my own reflection of what I went through and how that reflection has led me to learn or avoid the languages of my language learning journey that i started at 18 it all really wraps really really nicely around one another so that's what we mean by you know transracial transnational adoptee um and yeah i mean i think that initially when i did not take a lot of time to reflect on my past i don't think i had to i don't think i felt forced to necessarily reflect on everything that happened to me as an adoptee and as a different race from my family because no one made me feel different when I was with them. Um, It was only until I went abroad that I learned that generally people in Germany, not everyone, but the majority and in Italy when I was there, um, since I had spent about a semester there, they had really associated my ethnic identity to be the most important. And your ethnic identity, according to what they told me, should always be over your cultural identity. And I think I knew from pretty much all my life that my cultural identity as an American was the strongest. And that's why I think I started to gravitate towards more European languages, because we had learned so much about European history Um, Western European history in the United States when I was growing up. So that was all I was really exposed to, just like any other American. The only difference was that my ethnic identity was Chinese. And there was really a big separation between how I identify myself and how others identified me, especially outside of the U.S., And it took the pandemic (laughs) to really figure out, okay, I don't think I'm doing okay. And no one taught me about this in my language learning resource books, right? I was so pretty much obsessed with always getting the best resources, um, always wanting to get better, and really always chasing fluency in a language. And then this whole story of how my experience wrapped into how my language journey went and is still going, it really made me reflect on, wow, like I can't, I can't go and process and go further in my language journey without processing, you know, what happened to me um, and how I see myself and how I identify myself, everything like that. So just the big questions that I was never taught in a language learning classroom. And I definitely wasn't taught in the language learning realm either. I didn't really mm-hmm. know any adoptees, and I really want to now be a voice, first of all, for other adoptees who might not be very comfortable sharing their story. Definitely took me a super long time, but that doesn't mean that I expect you know everyone to share their story, right? It's so personal, and it involves a lot of nuanced emotion. And the second thing I want to represent is that, as I said before, we are love learning languages, and I love being part of a lot of online language communities. But I think that the stories that we hold, you know, you might not be an adoptee like me, but you do have a story, right? Chris, you have a story, and everyone (laughs) else does too. They really do. And even if your story does not involve anything like adoption, you know, it still still involves highs and lows. Um, And I've known other people to tell me even about perfectionism that they've really struggled with. Um, even, again, with others telling me, yeah, I don't think I fit in. I wasn't adopted like you, but I really felt like I didn't fit into the society that, um, or society whose language I was learning. So there are so many stories that we have behind the languages that we speak. And I think that they do not get recognized enough um, compared to how many languages do you speak? Or how well <laughs> do you speak something? Or can you tell me something in this language now that I know that you speak it? So I really want to be an advocate for getting to the really vulnerable side of language learning, whatever that means for me, and also whatever that means for my viewers.
0: Awesome. Well, yeah. I, I mean, you're definitely one of the most unique guests I have uh, on the on the 180 plus episodes <laughs> uh, in terms of the uh, the topic. You know, as as I mentioned before, we started recording. You know, a lot of the words they used in the email, like transracial you know not worse that i've seen a lot not or heard a lot about uh, definitely in my circles so just getting a, a unique perspective i think is is, is fantastic i mean uh, at the very least uh, i i'm fascinated you know deeply fascinated by that position you were put in because obviously there's really no good <laughs> there's no good ways to deal with a, an, an abandoned child at, at that age you know the whatever people do would have done to you at that time uh, whether you stayed in china you went to the u.s or somewhere else entirely or whatever there would have been ramifications uh different kind of different attacks on your personality or you know s- kind of pulling in in separate directions so yeah i'm really fascinated about this and you know, there's a lot of things we could unpack. And I think, like you said, I think this applies to a lot of people as well. Um, like, I immediately thought of myself when when I started learning English. And I never really felt confident in my in, in my home country. I don't know what it was. But for some reason, I just connected to English on a whole nother level. And maybe it's some kind of escapism or, like, if you're not doing that well, it's kind of, like, exciting to be different. Um, you know, obviously, as a as some kind of coping mechanism, uh, that you know, I I I don't have that kind of adaptee or or a transracial uh, past, but maybe that was a defense mechanism that's kind of similar in some ways that that saw me completely disconnect from my from my country. You know, using English more than my native language of Danish, and you know, now I've lived abroad for I don't know, you know a third of my life or something like that, so. So just for me, I can definitely see some similarities, and I know that other people have um, kind of similar stories. And it would be great if we could hear more of these stories. You know, maybe that's kind of a an open invitation to anyone listening to this. If you have an interesting, or actually interesting, I mean, that's so (laughs) that's a weird word to use, but if you have an unusual (laughs) story of your language learning or culture or upbringing, whatever, you know, send me an email, and we'll make it happen.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing, Chris. And again, like, as I said before, we all have stories and I think that it's so valuable for us to bring those things to light. I mean, anything from, you know, lacking confidence in something to feeling pulled towards whatever language or away from whatever language, depending on what has happened to us. Um, It's so valuable. And I think that's something that I really needed to hear even seven years ago when I was, really on YouTube, like the entire time, you know, looking for inspiration. Um, Because I think that, yeah, that was something that I didn't even really know that I should reflect on, because Mm. it's so subconscious. And, um, but just going, you know, having the pandemic time and trying to just navigate my way through the world, just even as an adult now after college, um, that's really given me the space to really take on, I guess, see my language journey as, as a whole and appreciate it in a very different light. Um, and you know, I know I'm kind of going off here too, but I think, um, I think seeing how, Vulnerable, and how self-compassionate I must like. I had to be with myself in order to confront my past in that way. Just during my personal reflection about being an adoptee, those coping mechanisms, coping mechanisms are timeless. You know, any sort of resilient, um, resilient skills that you've learned or that you've had to learn because of a difficult experience—they're timeless and they follow you way more than any other language learning resource could give you right you could have all the language resources in the world but nothing like yourself but you do yeah. have to see sort of you know how can i activate that because it's going to look different for everyone so
0: yeah absolutely and I, I i'd love to talk about language specific uh, kind of subtopics to this but maybe before we get into that maybe we could talk a little bit about identity as a in general because um, i think it it's something that a lot of people who are interested in foreign languages definitely have some kind of uh, interest in or, or some exposure to for example if you're a heritage learner which we can talk about a little bit later or you have for some reason some or you get moved around you know there's a lot of kids that kind of travel when they're young uh, the parents might be uh, you know uh, what do they call them diplomats or you know business people working in, in different countries, so it mm-hmm. kind of get thrown around and the identity gets kind of shaken up a lot. So, so how was it for you, kind of, you know, dealing with that and the the clash of identities? I guess because I mean, you grew up almost entirely in the United States, so I assume that's like the main kind of identity, but then you. You get exposed to this you know kind of past identity as you mentioned um so how do you how do you begin to deal with that and how does that kind of process start and and look like
1: yeah this is a really good question well the starting point is kind of fuzzy because i felt like i had a lot of like starting points that kind of led to the main starting point so You know, sometimes people would ask me, oh, have you learned Chinese? Like, have you considered learning it? And then I would think about it and I'd be like, no, 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 no. (laughs) Before I started to really, um, really contemplate what that meant for me and everything. So I was, I was asked that a lot. And I was even told by my aunt that she remembers me saying, oh, I want to learn Chinese and I want to go search for my birth parents. Like that is apparently what I said. Um, But I can't, I feel like I remember a little bit of saying that, but I did feel a sort of pressure, especially from my mom who had already lived in Taiwan for a time. And she also moved around a lot in China too, um, just as a missionary. So there was that kind of, you know, she had a lot of decorations in her house that reminded me of the place that Mm. I knew that I didn't belong. And so there were, these are kind of the starting points I'm talking about that weren't, they were infused in by outside influence. And then it it just gave me a lot more wiggle room when I was finally ready to process everything to add on to, um, you know, what I needed to sort through and go through. And of course, I think with the language, right? I always said, oh no, like I don't like how Chinese sounds. (laughs) I think when I was, especially in Europe, I really got... I really latched on to the idea maybe that the language, especially how other cultures interpreted it. And that is the, that is the key. Um, I think that Chinese kind of always sounds really ugly when it is mimicked by other people that are either, yeah, that are trying to make fun of really any Asian looking person. And that really got infused in my head. And, that also made me not want to be like, oh, yeah, I want to learn Chinese. Like, why would I learn a language that people are making fun of me of? That was kind of like my my protective barrier, I think, subconsciously mm. that I told myself, oh, yeah, like Chinese is, is ugly and I don't want to learn it. But I, I think I was really protecting myself because I started, <laughs> I, well, let's see, what day is it today? Yeah, so I started learning Chinese just through Mango Languages about, oh, let's see, I think off and on. And I started about two weeks ago and I just did like the first five lessons, but that was really one of the first discoveries that I had to come to terms with. And, um, I think I wanted to approach the combination, like, or really reinvestigating a lost identity. I still don't see myself as Chinese at all. Like I don't feel stuck in between identities, but I am open to discovering what could have been, and then just being open to see where that takes me. (laughs) Um, Mm. And so with Chinese, I expected, you know, some of those hard feelings to come up because, you know, languages have, and language learning has done so much more for me than just proving that I could do it. Like that is a great, um, that's a great realization, I think for everyone to have, but I think even more, um, I thought I kind of thought I guess as a as a younger language learner when I was just starting out that that was really all there was um showing that I could do it showing that I could push through and everything but it really is a tool to cope and I think that's a little bit about what I was thinking about with learning Turkish or Arabic when I was in Germany because definitely I didn't feel like I was belonging when people would make fun of the language they thought I spoke like Chinese or would say oh no you don't come from the the United States you know you come from China because again your ethnic identity that's how we identify you as that's where you should belong to us why aren't you doing anything to try to belong more to that um, this perception that we have of you and um, yeah so I think basically I think that it just it was really through the language as my main like my primary tool that even though there were some of those hard feelings that I had to process like abroad and everything with those experiences, I think picking a language, you know, picking something that I know that I can strategically accomplish um, and know where the starting point would be and just kind of see how it goes. That was kind of the best funnel for me considering my interests in general, Mm -hmm. but it's taking control and doing it on my own terms as well. um, Instead of just listening to others outside
0: of it yeah this might be a, a dumb question but i feel like i i should ask it anyway yeah, <laughs> um, of course. Wh- why did you feel the need or where did the need to learn the language come from because i'm uh, you know obviously i haven't been in the situation so i i'm not sure uh, exactly how to relate but y- you could still you could still have connection to your past right and your your different uh, identities and and time periods without the language mm.
1: that is true and that that is true for some people I think though that since language learning has had i mean i I define myself solely through language learning not the healthiest thing to do but I define myself I mean solely through the process of learning languages and how much I did and everything that I guess it just made sense for me to like use this specific funnel as uh, you know checking in with with how I really feel and the identity thing and everything. And also I was kind of wondering, you know, how do you, how do adoptees um, go into learning their heritage languages? Because mm-hmm. that's a whole another topic that I don't I don't really see anything of. So I was just like, I'm going to see how it feels for me. Of course, not a, any any experience is the exact same, but I wanted to see just what whatever hard feelings I could uncover. Um, so yeah, again, you know, you don't have to learn a language or learn the heritage language if you don't feel that's right for you. Um, I think some people do for various reasons and I think also, um, there's a lot of nuanced emotion because I think for me, I'm still in the place where yes, I'm, I'm open to it. And then, you know, my heart that's still trying to protect me, um, from really, you know, how should I say it? Just really difficult experiences from abroad. Like, I think, um, I think that's what I've been trying to, trying to maneuver with, because I know that I'm ready for it. Even though I know that, you know, my heart will be telling me something, while my head wants me to do something else. Um, I think, I don't know if this is making sense. I think my heart is telling me to go forward because it knows that I'm ready for this step in my life and it knows that I can really take advantage of an interest that I already have and a good basis that I already have and at the same time it's like pulling me away because that's how I've always been Always just not wanted to go, like even being surrounded by any Asian decoration in my house, like I felt uncomfortable. So definitely wasn't going abroad to any Asian, um, any country where there were Asian language speaking individuals, right? I was just anything. And even just from other Asian looking students, like I just wouldn't associate myself with them. I would stay how I felt perceived to be like safe with the white friends that I already had and with my white family. So I hope that sort of answered <laughs> your question.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's uh, obviously a very complex uh, situation in anyway, way. Anyways, so you can't just summarize it to to one sentence, but yeah, I think that's it. And, and, and what, what do you hope to, you know, what do you plan to do with the language? If, if anything, do you have any kind of practical, you know, along the way you want to, do you want to, make friends in China? Do you want to have uh, uh, I don't know, do you want to <laughs> travel there? You said you weren't interested so far, but down the line, are you interested in, in going over there and, and, and using the language or or is it mostly just for the intellectual and, and kind of healing exercise of it?
1: Mm. Well, I think I think I really just don't know. I know, however, what I don't plan to do initially, which is go at the language with the goal of becoming fluent, because, and again, I think, I mean, when I was filming a YouTube video, um, I, of course, spoke into the camera, and I told what I learned in Chinese from my five mango languages so far um, from those lessons, and it was just a total shock to me because I was like okay this is like the physical manifestation of myself that I can see with my own eyes but like it's me and I'm like speaking this Mm. language that I never thought and (laughs) everything like that I mean so I think because there will be so many points of reflection for me while I am currently in the language learning process I mean I was interrupting myself in my study sessions like every 10 minutes because I was like oh I need to tell like I need to record this down and um, and really keep it in my notes, not only for telling about my reflections to the entire world, but also just for me and kind of like a catalog. So considering all of that, um, I think for me, like for the very first time, it is all about the, the process really of learning a language. And it took a lot of, um, sitting with myself and processing a lot of frustration from my past to get me to the point where, uh, I can finally say, I'm okay. I'm okay if I'm not fluent. Because before that, I, again, I had mentioned a little bit of perfectionism here and there. I definitely struggled with that um, so, so much. That was one of the main things. And to not, to finally admit to myself and reassure myself that it is okay. You know, you're not less, any any less valuable um, or any more valuable um, for saying yes, my goals fluency or not, um, it took me a while to process that, but I think I'm I'm finally ready for that mentality, which will help me um, in this process of also processing a language that I never thought I would learn, like even two years ago. <laughs> so
0: right, yeah. Yeah, it yeah, yeah, sounds like you're taking some uh, tremendous strides in the uh, in, in your journey. Mm-hmm long a long and arduous journey, but uh, it sounds like it's it's, it's coming along nicely in, in any case.
1: Yeah, and I think just with life in general, right I life is just a process in general, and I, I love I can now really clearly see how language learning goes into that and how much it's just entwined with our life. and in the end, you know, it's only us who have our memories at the end of our lives. And no matter how anyone else perceives it, I think that for me, just as a human, and considering my lived experiences, it'll just be a valuable experience that I can carry with me forever. Um, so, yeah.
0: But that's uh, in some ways all we have experiences. Yeah. Like that yeah, is yeah. that is the the essence of life, and <laughs> this is kind of the only thing we take with us in some case, in some ways. So, I think that's. That's definitely important, um, an identity like we talked about before, I think in the language space, I think this is such an important part of it because not only do I think when you move abroad and you start learning the language do you take on kind of a new identity. It doesn't replace your existing one, but it's like you it's like you morph into this new thing kind of like you change in a way where you're not really the same person that left but at the same time you're obviously not you know talking about people who move abroad for example but when they're let's say they're they're adults it it changes it changes your identity in a way that it's hard to come back which is kind of funny like you and, and then you end up in this void where you're a foreigner abroad, obviously, because you're not speaking at a native level. You know, you might be speaking really well, but no matter how good you speak, you're not going to remember the 1990s uh, serial commercial idioms. Um, you know, mm-hmm. you have no idea. And then when you go back, it's like it seems like a totally different place than the one you left, you know, ages and ages ago. So I think a lot of people listening definitely can relate to a lot of those identity <laughs> crises that you can have along the way.
1: Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. And it is, it is perfectly normal to have them. I mean, identity can be defined for everyone in a different way. But I think we have a lot of similarities too, which is why, um, you know, I like to give my story out there just to make sure that, you know, it's okay to share if you feel like you want to and that you're not alone with with all of these conflicting emotions behind, you know, whatever language you've learned or, spoken or not spoken
0: etc yeah absolutely and and speaking of the heritage language which we just touched on a little bit and and you were talking about your experience and that's also something that comes up a lot you know people we've had multiple episodes here about learning the heritage language of your family Uh, people have grandmothers who spoke a certain language to them but they never learned it or they're you know in in the U.S. and many other places with your you're a second, third generation immigrant, then the the original language is just lost. Um, maybe partially because of kind of misguided, uh, what should you call it? Misguided uh, wisdom of the parents who thinks that, you know, having that language will be a, a hindrance uh, in some cases. But of course, also you're living in an English speaking country and and everything is done in English. So there's, there's not that push to to reintroduce that. But have you had any kind of connections with people in that space or have you been talking to other people about their experiences learning uh, the heritage language? You mentioned that you were watching a lot of videos, you know, a couple of years ago. So I was just curious about your kind of position on on that uh, the topic of, of heritage learning.
1: Yeah, I think so. I still teach... Um... I still teach German a lot from time to time, and I think half of the students that I have say that they have some sort of German heritage, and it's always, I teach more of the beginning stages to them, and so they're always, like, really, really excited, and they're like, yeah, I mean, I hope that whenever I get to go to Germany, or I'm going to Germany next year, even... Um, I can't wait to use the language and it's, it's just really endearing. Um, I'm not sure, you know, how, how personable they, they would really want to be, I guess, besides that, just because of like the teacher student relationship or I don't want to make them. um, And I I guess I don't want to, I want it to be about them. Right. I don't want to confuse any of my, my own, um roomings and musings into what they experience because that is a really, really valuable experience to have just at the very beginning, like and it's all yours, right? No one can take that away from you, and you've already set your intention um and it's really beautiful to see and so I really enjoy hearing about those those kinds of stories um because they they will usually say that um you know grandma or um, great-grandfather, they were, um, they had their origins there. And I just want to kind of rediscover what, you know, what they might have lived through or um, even just see how everything looks now, now that they're gone. Um, so it's definitely a very special thing. And I'm so glad, like, I'm I'm thankful <laughs> to to languages for just being there and being able to be preserved in that way so that when future generations, you know, as they come up, they have the choice to go back or not
0: yeah I mean that would be great wouldn't it if uh if everyone could preserve kind of their heritage language in a in an immigrant environment you know that would be in my opinion the ideal because it mm-hmm. gives the um, gives the the children such a such a benefit you know I I feel so fortunate to be uh, bilingual you know trilingual whatever you want to define it um you know living in let's say when I speak with Americans or with, with, uh, with people from the UK, you know, they just have that one language, but I always have, you know, a few languages that I can communicate in that I can understand people in. And, you know, it's not some gimmick. It's, it's really just, to me, it's like one of the most, I consider it to be some of my most valuable uh, skills to have. And it's not just communication. It's, it's like f- empathy as well. You know, I understand the, not fully, of course, I don't pretend to be an expert, but <laughs> I, I feel like I, I I get people in the languages that I speak way more than when I speak, let's say, English with someone from a country whose language I don't speak. So if if we can if the if the least we can do with, with episodes like this is to encourage more people to uh, keep or stick to that heritage language. Or if you are the, let's say, the uh, the kid, so to speak, in the story, you know, encouraged to go and and learn some, you know, but of course, ideally, it should be, in an ideal setting, it would have been passed down, because that's such an easier way to learn, you know, the parents to speak to you in in the native language, right? Um, that works incredibly well, but uh, of course, that's not always easy, and there's lots of uh, problems with that, and and like I said, there's a bit of misguided. Uh, Wisdom there as well from the parents. Um, in, in some cases, but it can also be laws. You know, I saw in in uh, in Iowa, this little Danish town that I visited. Uh, there's no Danish there anymore in terms of the language, but they're very proudly Danish in this little town. And um, the I I talked to them about, it and they said, really, if you came 80 years ago, you would have you would be hearing Danish all the time, all over the, the villages. But then the governor was like, you can't speak Danish in the church anymore. And that was like the meeting point. That was like the center of the community, right? And so they they banned uh, Danish, forced English in the church. And within one or two generations, there was barely any Danish spoken. And then, of course, the speakers start dying out as well because it's not passed on anymore. And that's why we get to this point in the history where yeah, you just you can't find a single Danish speaker there unless there's one on loan in the in the museum or something from Denmark, you know, mm, <laughs> which yeah. is sad, you know it's really sad.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, languages are different and I think in a way, I mean, I have a big privilege right because there are so many resources for Chinese. but definitely if you do come from a background where there really are no resources or your language for whatever reason is not available, or the you know something happened where the speakers were not allowed to speak um, anything like that. Um, that's definitely um, that's definitely the reality for some language learners. And um, yeah, I think also if if there is any sort of like resistance, because I felt definitely resistance against learning any heritage language, um, I think that it's important to just know you know that's that's okay. That's also just part of your story, right? And if you don't feel like it's the right time for you, or it'll never be the right time for you to learn any heritage language that you may have, then that is certainly okay. Um, Again, it adds to your story and the way your story is, you know, it's valuable and um, just do what, what feels most authentic to you. I think that's really, as I've gone through this whole language learning journey and I think this is what the language learning experience has taught me utmost is to really like find your way back to yourself right however that looks like for you um if it's possible of course as I Mm. said with um with some heritage languages unfortunately not being available for whatever reason but um yeah again just I just love talking about languages in this way too because uh again, as I had given you my very first <laughs> version of how I used to speak about myself in regards to language learning, I was like, well, I think for me, uh, I was just scratching the surface and there was so much more to be discovered. So.
0: Yeah. And, and there is always more to uh, to discover. Um, I, was, I was actually also curious how you, how did you end up on, on German initially? Did you have any specific, did you see anything uh, specifically or was there some kind of connection that called you to, to to pick that. You said you were looking at European languages, but what was it about German that attracted you to it?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. And it's really funny that I say this because I think I I had so much doubt in myself initially because I had a really bad experience learning French in high school. I just had such a bad teacher and I thought, well I'll never I'll never get past the the greeting stage, right? So initially I'd picked Germany because I knew that there were a lot of American expats there. And that was literally the only reason. I also just wanted to go abroad (laughs) to (laughs) escape my problems, which this is coming from like a a 17-year-old perspective. I was just still had a lot to learn about the world. And so, but I did approach it from kind of like a beautifully naive (laughs) point. And I thought, well, if I just learn the basics, then they'll also be able to speak to me in English and then I'll be able to speak English with the American expats and everything. And then six months later, of course, I discover, wow, like I really love this and I'm capable of doing it. So I guess the wish, initial wish of being with a lot of German native speakers that I knew could probably speak English really well anyways. And knowing that they had already um, had a lot of American expats there I think that is what tempted me towards Germany the most. And then afterwards I was like, wow, that's, that is, that was, that was just me doubting myself, (laughs) but (laughs) it is pretty ironic how, how things ended up.
0: Yeah. So there's no, you know, sometimes people talk about these, uh, you know, you need to have a grand uh, reasons or goals or, you know, there needs to be a, a, a big reason for you to pick language X or Y or, um, but it sounds like you found that kind of meaning and, and enjoyment and fulfillment simply by just trying something. And, you know, if you had hated the sound of German or the, you know, whatever, the culture, I, I don't know how you could hate it, but that's a, a bit strong maybe, but you know, if you didn't like it, you could have just, you know, bounced and went for a Spanish or Italian or whatever language you kind of wanted to, to try. So, so that's also an interesting perspective that doesn't get talked about a lot which is uh you know just you know uh, jump in and if if you like it you know keep going and and the the process and the kind of accomplishments you get along the way will serve as that fuel you know you don't need you know as much as we're talking about this heritage language learning and you know these uh, identity questions you know someone like me for example who's uh uh you know, I, I haven't been able to find find a single ancestor who was uh, born outside of Denmark, and we went back. I think about I don't know, probably three x great grandfather or something like that, maybe four x. Um, so, you know, I don't have you know a great great uh, uncle from Russia, or you know, as far as we know, at least. Uh, so there's no grand reason. Uh, and And maybe that there doesn't need to be one all the time,
1: yeah, exactly. you just let your kind of just let your curiosity guide you and see where you end up. That's the beauty in it,
0: yeah, you just try different things and uh and see where it ends up and 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 speaking of where things are ending up, uh, do you have any other languages on your uh, proverbial hit list uh, in the future? anything that sounds interesting,
1: oh man, that's a good question because. <laughs> I just had a Chinese, so I'm just like, you got to wait. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> you got to let one, yourself yeah. process. Um, <laughs> that is a big one. I think in the future, I'll give like sort of a, a general list. So I would still really like to dig more into Persian. Um, one of my friends is learning it currently because he's actually connecting with um, some long-lost relatives that he had in Iran that he previously did not know. And once he started introducing me more, I guess, to how the language worked and how there were so many, um, I think someone said there were French words, a lot of French vocabulary sounding uh, words in Persian, but also a lot of Turkish words. And then um, just a really similar alphabet, even though there are differences within the letters, um, I would really start, like to start delving into that at some point, not this year and probably not next year, but it is on the list And then I would like to, after I get a hold more of a, of the dialect and Arabic that I'm learning, um, which is just the the Levantine dialect in general, then I want to go back to the, like the modern standard Arabic, just because I think that there's, I think there's so much more that I could learn even just about the literature or being able to read newspapers, even, um, just being able to read a lot more in general, because I'm mainly just speaking <laughs> for the dialect, yeah. <laughs> So I do want to be able to re- practice reading a lot more. Um, so yeah, but those, those are definitely for, for the future, way in the future. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Great. Well, it's good to have some, uh, some plans ahead and something to look forward to. Um, you mentioned, uh, you mentioned perfectionism earlier, uh, probably, um, you know, we were talking, uh, about a mutual friend, uh, Heidi as well, who's uh, who's really into the perfectionism uh, topic, and that will be another podcast episode coming out. But um, would you consider yourself a, a perfectionist when it comes to to language learning, and how does that kind of manifest?
1: So definitely, even two years ago, I definitely was, and I was challenged by the fact of me trying to learn a dialect of Arabic, just because there were no, there may have been like a textbook. Yeah. In fact, I used a textbook for the very beginning, but again, it didn't have really good audio. Like I expected it to have like with Italian or a German workbook or any sort of classroom material that were um, materials that were readily available for those more popular languages. And so I was just like, okay, like I have to be okay with just not knowing and tripping up, a lot more like and I think I tripped up equal amounts but I think my my perfectionism like made me feel like I was tripping up less because I loved learning the grammar and I think my main method for about the first five years of language learning was really like honing in on the grammar and it made me just feel really confident but it also just maximized the perfectionist tendencies as high as they could go to the fact of just like, I mean, I think even last year I was like, I cannot do this anymore. Like I'm stopping language learning for about nine months and that's exactly what I did. I may have, you know, listened um, off and on to something in another language, but I was like, I really need a break because this perfectionism thing. And I don't think I knew to call it perfectionism at the time. I just knew that I was really, really stressed out and overwhelmed with my own thinking process of how I thought about even language learning because eventually language learning just became another thing on the to-do list and it caused me just a lot of stress as I mentioned before. So whenever it starts feeling that way, I was like, I I better take a break, which was one of the most beneficial things I've ever done in language learning. Um, So definitely now I would say that, I mean, man, I think part of my perfectionism was also making sure that I stuck to a regular study schedule. And this year, I have not done that at all. In fact, last year, I also didn't really do it at all. I mean, I've gone through breaks of, again, that nine months where I didn't study anything. And then um, there would be times where I'd be like, okay, like I can do something every day. And I I was on the ball and um, something would happen in personal life. Or I would just feel extremely exhausted physically from what I was doing outside of language learning that... Um, I just, I couldn't do it. Like I, sometimes I physically couldn't do it. And, um, it was just really practicing like over and over again, like meeting myself where I was and accepting how I was in the moment, you know, apart from any sort of, um, of any goal that I had, you know, personally, um, implemented on myself or set up for myself. Um, so nowadays it's just like, well, if I didn't study, then that's okay. Well, if I show a video where I make a few mistakes here and there, if I don't speak as fast as I think I should um, Mm. on YouTube when I talk in a foreign language, then so be it. Because um, I think I even posted on Twitter today. Like I'm going to be honest and say my fluency literally changes from even in one conversation, um, (laughs) even daily. And it just depends. And I've learned to finally be okay with that. <laughs> and it, it's such a more joyous <laughs> way of living in your language. It really is. Right. Because before that I was like, oh, I'm like, I'm clenching my knuckles together, just trying to fight through it. And that is not a healthy way for me to think about something that really brought me joy um, and still brings me a lot of joy. But I think it really is buried under how I, you know, my mindset about it. So
0: yeah but how do you how do you balance the um you know acceptance and giving yourself the space which i think is the most important like whatever we do whatever goals we have whatever our ambitions are i think we have to take care of ourselves first and we have to give ourselves the space and and never feel like we should never beat ourselves up for not doing something or doing not doing enough or or things like that but How do you balance that kind of emotion of, you know, it's okay, you know, uh, I'll let it go, I'll I'll not be upset with myself, but also you're kind of working towards a goal, right? Let's say you want to learn Spanish, whatever, like you at some point, you'd like to get somewhere with it, you know, you can't just every day or every week go, well, I don't feel like it today, but that's okay, you know, (laughs) you know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think that's where, you know, individualized goals come in mind. Um, I remember I set a goal for myself to take like a, I think, a online B1 exam for Russian, like at the end of this year. And of course, I haven't worked towards that at all. So first of all, like I've, I've come to the fact of, yes, there are other priorities in my life that have become even more important for me that um, will serve me in the long run. And I think how I kind of like to see it now is even if I do take breaks, I plan in like a week of like intensive studying, which I found has worked really well for me. And usually after a break, like I'll be really, really energized and be ready to get back into it. And, you know, I think I'm pretty gentle with myself if, again, for example, something in my personal life comes up um, and I don't have the capacity to really think about anything else but that. But I do usually plan like a, a full, that can be anywhere from like one week up until three weeks of consistency. Because I think okay. ultimately that's how like, I mean, that's how, as I look back, I've always kind of learned languages um, is because I've taken a really big break with every language that I've learned um, from like a few months up until like a year, like I did for Turkish. So, but the fact is like, I've, I've kept on going at some point and just kind of, mm-hmm. Um, I guess I've learned about myself that once I keep it kind of all in a calendar and I kind of see what I've done and am able to like fill the calendar out with, you know, whatever languages I learned that day with what skill I worked on, um, during those weeks or periods of consistency, um, like intensive consistency, then, you know, that that's worked for me. And I feel like after even a break, like I can come back, I can still prove to myself that I can come back um, strong mm. and I can review things faster, um, with every, after every break that I take, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. It, it sounds like yeah. you're uh you're a sprinter. I think it's one of the things they say, you know, where uh-huh. you will have kind of intense bursts and then there might be a break of some length, could be a day, could be a week, could be months, like you mentioned before, but then you get into it again and then it's just like, you know, it can be all, also all consuming in some some cases you know, where it just takes over, you just start studying like eight hours a day, you know just really, really into it, and then you'll take that the break after maybe
1: yeah, and I think I mean, yes, there there always needs to be some kind of consistency, but I think that I've experimented with what that means to me and what works with my energy level um because yeah. again, that's going to vary, so but yeah definitely, I mean, right? yeah, definitely, I mean, yeah, definitely. Definitely,
0: managing, managing that what you, what you feel like, and, and I guess also on a day by day basis, you know, there are times of the day that are better suited for different tasks, and you can only really know, by experimenting.
1: Yeah, for sure, you know, for sure.
0: That's uh, I always remember they talked about that in uh, in, when I was in school, they were saying you know, you should have really in, kind of intense learning in in the morning because that's when learning is apparently better i don't know why but (laughs) that's what they said and then you should have like repetition in the afternoon because you're getting tired so it's better to kind of revise things you already know um or do sports which i guess was the other option but uh, yeah there's a there's a time of day for everything i can't remember what the book was called I, i wish i could remember but there was a book that recently came out that that basically laid this out that there's a time for everything and as far as I understand it, it, it is different for everyone. So there are different like uh, chronotypes and things like that. So so that's worth a a look if anyone listening is finding that they're, they're struggling to get certain tasks done at certain times of the day or, or just not feeling the energy for them for those tasks.
1: Yeah, for sure. That kind of sounds like The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and I'm just saying that because that's literally the book that everyone has been talking about. And that sounds like maybe a topic that would go in that book. So I'm, I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. not sure.
0: <laughs> no, I'm sure it's part of it probably. I, I remember, I, I don't remember that one. I haven't read it in ages, but uh, no, this was uh, about the, you know, the different chronotypes like wolf and bear and dolphin and mm. whatever. Uh, I'm not entirely sure how, how accurate it is, but there is a time for for everybody at every at every stage, I would say.
1: For sure, yeah.
0: So, but anyway, our time has uh, elapsed <laughs> for this uh, recording. Um, I wish we had more time. Uh, this is something we could definitely, you know, have on again, or maybe you could come and be part of the next uh, New Year New Language Summit in uh, in January. We could have a, a kind of follow-up to it, because I'm sure we'll get a lot of uh, kind of comments on the, uh, this episode is a, something different for me and i hope that people listening also appreciate that the the kind of a uh, sharing of stories is something that i value a lot and going through the 100 plus 80 180 plus episodes of the podcast there's been so many uh kind of uh you know sometimes crazy sometimes uh very uh special sometimes very unusual um but it all teaches something that we can all take and use so so thank you so much uh, for that, Emily, and for coming on the show and for sharing your message with uh, with the world.
1: Yes, thank you so, so much, Chris, for even giving me the opportunity. I'm super grateful.
0: Yeah, no worries. It was a blast for me as well, and I learned a lot. And uh, if people want to learn more about you, get some of your content and other topics, uh, where could they find you?
1: Of course. So... My main platform is YouTube under Language Travel Adoptee. Um, You might have, there might be a few videos under My Language Paradise, which was my previous name, but make sure to search Language Travel Adoptee first. And I also have a new podcast that came out. You can search that under the Language Wellness and Identity podcast. And then, of course, I am also on Instagram, on Twitter, under those same names.
0: Wonderful, and I'll put that in the, uh, the show notes as well if, if people are watching or listening to this on the, uh, on the app or on the website. So thank you for that, Emily, and uh, I'm sure we'll catch up again very soon.
1: Of course, thank you so much, Chris.